For the first five weeks, we had to be patient. The students sometimes shared many of the times they passed and it felt uncomfortable and awkward, but we just went with it. We trusted the process, but it wasn't until I think week six where we asked a student if they wanted to facilitate and we helped that student plan that circle. And the next week we were both really kind of nervous. How is this going to go? And every student in that discussion participated. And that student actually became one of the lead facilitators for our school. And it was in that moment that I realized that this is a process that cannot just sit with teachers. Teachers cannot be the facilitators of these discussions or practices that are happening in schools. But there needs to be integration with our students and our students need to be involved in the process. Welcome to season five of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. So this season, we're rotating hosts, so you get to meet different members of the Teacher Collaborative team. My name is Diana LeBeau. I'm Senior Director of Programs at the Teacher Collaborative. In season five, we're going to focus on change makers. We'll hear from teachers who have led change and hear in their own voices how they navigated the ups and downs of doing things differently. Today, I'm talking to Marcy Day. Welcome, Marcy. Hi there. (laughs) Hi. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself, tell us who you are in your own words, and who you teach. My name is Marcy, and I've been a teacher in Revere Public Schools for 10 years. I am a licensed biology teacher. I have taught freshman biology at Revere High School. I've been an instructional coach for our district. And currently, I am a biotechnology teacher at Seacoast High School, which is a district's alternative high school. I'm also a co-facilitator for our restorative justice team. And I also co-facilitate a restorative justice class with students. Great. And we've gotten to know each other through Passion to Teach, where you've been a member of the CoLab and are continuing into phase two and continuing to do work with us there. And that's where I first learned about your passion for restorative justice and your different ways you've been part of change processes. Since we're focusing on change this season, I guess maybe a good way to get started would be for you to share an instance, I guess, of when you've been involved in a process of change in a school building or in your district and what that was about and how that all got started, how you got involved, and generally why that was something you jumped on with. In 2017, our school district began a program called Colleague to Colleague Coaching Program. And at the time I was in grad school looking to come back into the classroom and this new instructional coach role came out and it felt like it was an opportunity that I needed to take. It was brand new to the district. We've had coaches, but not an instructional coach role specifically for the high school. So it was an opportunity that I wanted to take advantage of and kind of take some of the things that I've learned through grad school and my practice as a teacher and support others. And if I remember correctly, you've also been part of bringing restorative justice to your school. Is that right? Right. I went through a training while I was a coach in restorative justice and actually working with a teacher that I was coaching was interested in bringing restorative practices into their classroom. 
they were having challenges with supporting their classroom culture in a positive and healthy way. I remember I was in the classroom with the students and the teacher and I co-developed the circle questions that we were putting in front of students. For the first five weeks, we had to be patient. The students sometimes shared many of the times they passed and it felt uncomfortable and awkward, but we just went with it. We trusted the process, but it wasn't until I think week six where we asked a student if they wanted to facilitate and we helped that student plan that circle. And the next week we were both really kind of nervous. How is this going to go? And every student in that discussion participated. And that student actually became one of the lead facilitators for our school. And it was in that moment that I realized that this is a process that cannot just sit with teachers. Teachers cannot be the facilitators of these discussions or practices that are happening in schools. But there needs to be integration with our students and our students need to be involved in the process. That moment in coaching, in coaching to support those restorative practices was something that helped me transform how important it is for students to be involved in restorative practices in schools. I want to step back for a second because some people listening may not know what restorative justice is or at least what it looks like in schools. And I'd love to hear in your words how you would describe what restorative justice is and the power it has in a school. Restorative justice is more of a mindset shift in thinking about how we respond to conflict in the classroom. Typically, restorative justice in schools, folks associate with circle discussions. Students and teachers, administrators are sitting in a circle, communicating with one another. But I would say that really restorative justice or restorative thinking is a mindset shift. Typically, we think about restorative justice in addressing conflict. And typically, we think about conflict where rules are broken. Rules are broken in our classrooms, in our schools. But really, when we're thinking about it in a restorative way, it's not the rules, but it's really the relationship that's being harmed. It works to create systems to build trust and community with students and teachers and administrators. So typically in a school that has restorative practices in place, there's a lot of focus on community building. That's typically what we call tier one strategies, where all students and staff are integrated with one another, building community with one another, often through circle discussions and other practices and community activities. But then from there is when uh, tier two and tier three interventions might happen, where we think about conflicts that happen in our classrooms. When there is conflict that happens, whether it's in your classroom or in school, there's often a restorative approach to figuring out what happened, who has been harmed, and what needs the folks have, both the the person that did the harm and the person or the persons who are harmed. So that takes a lot of communication. It actually takes a facilitator to guide that discussion and reflection with students or even with adults too. I have been in spaces where I am facilitating a problem-solving circle with adults, not just students. 
I love that definition of it around the mindset. There's a bit of a misconception that restorative justice is a way to go easy on students, but actually there's a great deal of rigor needed to really push students to take care of each other and share responsibility for the relationships that happen in a classroom. So that's really great. I was just going to add like a lot of reflection, a lot of facilitated reflection that doesn't happen naturally with our young people or adults. Adults can be involved in the process too. Harm can be done by adults for sure. We think about students doing the harm, but adults definitely do too. So it's an opportunity to have a time for reflection that's facilitated and understand where folks are coming from and to have accountability for what harm has been done. Yeah. So you've really helped to bring this whole new, not only a a program with a capital P, but you've brought a new kind of mindset and approach to the teachers that you've collaborated with to bring restorative justice and and really the students that you've collaborated with. I know you're talking a lot about the student agency side of it. What's gotten you interested in being part of that change process as a teacher? It's more than what you have to do, but what leads you to want to be part of that? Throughout the last 10 years of teaching, I've had the mindset that every year there's always something to improve on. I'm not quite fulfilled with my curriculum or all the practices that I have been putting forth in my classroom. And I do think that I'm doing the best that I can and what I'm doing is the best for my students, but there's always something more that can be done. And with new research or new learning coming from our school, new initiatives. I'm always curious and willing to take a risk to try them. And there have been some things that come out that I haven't been a huge fan of, but I'm always willing to give it a shot. For me, I feel like I have the mentality that nothing is perfect. It's a a practice that keeps on evolving and trying something new that I think will have a benefit for kids is totally worth it. And it models me as a learner in front of my students. I love that. And I think that's so aligned with the way that you describe restorative justice. The teacher just isn't the boss, the sage in the middle and telling everybody else what to do, but it's really putting yourself on a level with the students, showing them that you're still learning and evolving too. You mentioned you don't always agree with every change process, but you'll give it a shot and you'll see the new evidence that comes out and things like that. So I know Revere, the district you're in, is known as a particularly innovative school district. What do you think it is that makes your district or your school decide to jump on board and try new things? Is it a mindset like what you have? These changes can't just happen with me. I can't just decide that I'm going to take on restorative justice practices or a competency-based learning framework in my classroom. It needs to be supported by administration. Even if I had a brand new idea, I would still need to get permission from folks to trust in me in, in this new initiative or new practice I wanted to try. It must be the leadership willing to take that risk and try something new and trusting the teacher leaders to support others in seeing these new changes come into play and being in models for other educators. The leaders must really trust our teacher leaders to make the decision that's best for our students. Otherwise, none of these changes would start at all. You've been doing both sort of some change work toward restorative justice and some of this competency education work. 
I'd love to hear about some of the ups and downs. What didn't go as planned? What is some luck that you encountered? What went really smoothly, better than expected? If I can think about some of our competency changes, it's been a really long process for us. We started engaging in conversations about competency-based education, I think, seven or eight years ago. And I shouldn't say we're just beginning to see some of those changes, but we're starting to feel a bit more comfortable adjusting our assessment practices and our grading practices in our schools. So I think it's been challenging that it's taking a long time. That's been the down. I also think that a challenge has been not always having the model of what this should look like in your classroom or your school and feel like you're kind of alone in the process. Sure, there's schools that have done this sort of competency learning before, but every school is different and every school has different needs, different curriculum. It was definitely challenging to not really know the right answer and how to create this performance-based assessment or how to report on students' progress or what type of feedback is best for caregivers. That has been a challenge, but I think the upside is that there are enough teacher leaders that were also grappling with the same challenges that we're able to compare what we're doing and try to get on the same page. There was a point where what we were doing in our classroom looked very different and that made it really confusing for kids and their caregivers to know how they're grading in my classroom versus another classroom. Those places were really challenging for the kids, really, which then made it challenging for us. I think working with a team of teachers that you're willing to share what you're doing and kind of get on the same page is going to be the most helpful. We were certainly collaborating in Revere, but not as much as maybe we should have to compare notes to say, oh, this is working or this isn't working. Let's all do it this way. Let's see how students and caregivers respond to this instead of often it being like, well, I'm not sure how to interpret this grade in Miss Day's classroom, but maybe there's a whole nother model to interpret in another student's classroom. Those are the challenges, I think, with competency-based learning. Do you feel a sense of success at this point with any of either of these things, the restorative justice or the competency-based education? I do. Every year, I do make some slight changes in how I'm having students interact with my curriculum and my assessments. But I do strongly feel like right now, my students know what the expectations are. They know what competencies they're working on. They know what skills that I think are important. They're also able to self-assess themselves and know what it is that I'm looking for and also why it's important. Prior to that, I don't think my students could answer those questions. But with some of the recent changes I've made in some of my summatives, my instruction, my formative assessments, students do have a a much stronger handle on what I'm looking for, why I think it's important, and where they are in their learning. Have there been any big aha moments for you along the way, either in your own classroom or in a meeting with other educators that has helped to keep you going? during the hiccups or the long time that a lot of these change processes last? I think remembering that coaching moment that I mentioned before was certainly an aha moment for me. And when it came to, after becoming a coach and joining the Seacoast Restorative Justice team that had already started prior to me becoming a teacher there, when we were realizing that the restorative justice practices, we weren't really seeing them transfer to kids. It was like, wait a minute, 
why don't we put the restorative justice practice like literally with the kids in a class and help them understand why we're doing what we're doing and be transparent. Part of competency-based education is being really transparent with our asks, our expectations, what we're looking for. All the other teacher moves and things that happen that are behind the scenes, we should be transparent with those too. I think when we were coming to a place where we didn't quite know where to go next, I think remembering that interaction that I had with that student and the teacher as a coach really helped me believe that it was time now for students to do the work with us, not just to them. I love that. So what's next for you? That's a hard question. (laughs) For me, As the co-facilitator of the restorative justice team, we're going to continue to refine our curriculum with our students. We just started a new project that the teacher collab helped me refine and bring more student agency into that course with a student design project. We're also going to be investigating what systems and structures we need to make sure are in place when there is conflict. Right now, there are two co-facilitators of their sort of justice team. There are also two other teachers that have been trained in all three tiers of restorative justice. And when there's a conflict, we can't always respond because we have classes ourselves. So as a school, we're trying to think creatively Where can we have these opportunities for discussion and reflection? Who is doing that when and ensuring that there's a clear pathway when there is a conflict so that it can be addressed and not just fester until something really harmful happens. So that's where we are now. We've really focused on the community building aspect of restorative justice, a little bit of some of the conflict resolution but we really need to prepare um, and have systems in place to support students when that intervention is needed. So that's what's happening on the restorative justice side. Curriculum, I think similarly, our teachers are still reporting things differently to their students and caregivers on our learning management system. I think we need to make some decisions on what learning management system might be the best or how the reporting on that system really needs to look like in order for it to be really clear for both our students and caregivers on where they are in making progress in our courses. So that's on a school-based level. I think for me as a classroom teacher, what I really want students to be doing is continuing their self-assessment, which is often a formative process during formative assessments. I'd really love them to be part of the assessment process when they do summative projects and really take ownership of following their tracker and measuring their own progress versus me doing that for them. That's great. Not small goals at all, but I hope they all work out. So Marcy, it's been really great hearing about the change work you've been involved with both on the competency education side and the restorative justice side and also a little bit about what that looks like in your classroom. So thank you. And thanks to everyone for joining us for today's conversation. 
You can learn more about the Teacher Collaborative by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media at the Teacher Collab. That's collab with one L. And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guest and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy every day. Thanks to teacher Ben Truba for our theme music, The Dusty Pencil Sharpener. And thanks to our amazing producer, Mijan Zulu, for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast and creating additional music.